You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. I'm recording this on my birthday. It's March 27th, 2020. And the past couple of weeks have felt like a year. I'm really grateful that I have a business that was already primarily online. So the big shift in my world has been having my children home with me all day, every day. I've been doing my best to support my clients, my coaching clients, the people in my group coaching programs, and the members of my greater community who are struggling with much bigger changes than I am. And one of the ways that I've been doing that is by inviting experts in topics that are really relevant to go live with me inside the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. So this episode is the audio from one of those live streams, but the quality of the audio of this episode is going to not be as great as maybe what I would like for it to be, what my other episodes are like because I neglected to record it directly onto my computer. Now, my guest today is Corey Sterling, author of the Yoga Law Book, and he came into my group to talk about the legal considerations of taking your yoga teaching online. And the information that he shared in this live was so valuable, and he did such a great job breaking it down for us that I really wanted to share it on the podcast as well. If you're not yet a member of the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group, I'd love to have you join. It's really easy. You can just go to teachingyoga.net slash join, and you'll get a link directly to the Facebook group. On the Facebook group, I personally offer free live trainings on a regular basis. I bring other experts on to help me with topics that I'm less familiar with. And you'll have access to a really awesome supportive community who understands what you're going through right now. One of the fun thing about these trainings is that you can participate live. So one of the things that you'll hear in today's episode is you'll hear me asking Corey questions in real time as they're being asked by the members of the community. So that's really fun. And I hope that you join if you haven't yet. And with that, let's jump into this training all about what you need to know from a legal perspective about bringing your teaching online. Hi. Hi. Okay. So we are here to talk about legal considerations of teaching online, which all of a sudden we have just a huge number of yoga teachers taking classes, taking their offerings online in response to the social distancing and the quarantines um, in response to the COVID-19 virus. And you hopefully have some good tips and ways of thinking about teaching online. First of all, From a legal standpoint, what is the difference between teaching online and teaching in person? Okay, what is the difference between practicing online and in person? The the biggest difference, I mean, there's a lot, there are a lot of intricacies, so we're just going to take it piece by piece. But the biggest difference is that what happens is people 
at law, you uh, there's something called a duty of care, which basically means that you have a responsibility to take care of people so long as they, as you are facilitating an experience for them. Um, and so we're just going to call duty of care, making sure someone practicing yoga with you is okay or is fine or is safe. So um, as a result, the waivers are written in a way where the risks outlined in the waiver pertain specifically towards in-studio practice. And so the risks are things like, oh, you know, obviously you can get injured. This can happen. Anything that can happen in yoga practice. It's, it's, a different, it's different than when people are doing it at home because teachers are able to watch students doing it. If someone um, it appears to be ill or not healthy enough, you can tell them not to. If they're doing something incorrectly, you're able to comment on that and fix it. Um, most importantly, what, what a real, the real purpose of a waiver of liability is to let people know what they are doing with you and what the risks of doing that are and that they understanding the risks they still agree voluntarily to participate and they release you of liability what's happening now the risks of people practicing online at home on their own are different than the risks practicing in a studio and as such it's sort of like there's a small hole in the protection of the waiver of liability that needs to be corrected it's just that i mean as much as and I try to keep things simple so we could get super in depth, but on a practical level, what the whole is, is that people are not protect, people are protected with, and let's say you're a studio, it depends if you're a studio or an individual teacher, but your waiver for the most part, I haven't, your waiver for the most part protects you for practicing inside the studio and all of the verbiage is around that. And none of it has anything about you practicing in your own home. And, you know, I, I wrote this book called The Yoga Law Book, um, Legal Essentials for Yoga Professionals. And the first story for everything that happened um, that sort of like was the light switch for me for yoga law was a yoga class that took place outside of the studio, not in a safe space where someone got injured and the teacher didn't have a waiver of liability that covered practice out of the studio. Mm. And that's in a very similar way, that's what's happening here. So the, the whole is just that the risks of the activities have changed, but people are using the same documents as well. Affirmation of health um, is like a legal term, but what affirmation of health means is like, hey, I'm healthy enough to participate. And, and that can be monitored by front desk staff or whatever, or even the teacher themselves, even if it's a one-on-one -on -one or a private. But obviously now, you know, people are showing symptoms at different stages and I can't speak to anything about that. But it's also important to add in the affirmation of health, like, hey, if you are showing any symptoms of this um, illness that is going around, it's really important that you do not practice. We urge you not to practice. Consult with a medical physician um, and just reinforcing all of those points. So that's like, we, we can chat about waivers um, for as long as you want. And there are a couple of other things that we can also chat about uh, that legal issues that are emerging um, as all of this is happening like in the past 72 hours. Great, great. So is the basic recommendation that as you take your teaching online that you have people sign a new waiver? The first recommendation, and I'm so happy you reminded me to make a recommendation, is a legal disclaimer from me, um, which is that by me sharing this information, I'm not sharing legal information with you. I'm not your lawyer by as a result of you listening to this information. I'm just, I'm sharing, I care. Obviously, um, I have a lot of roots to the yoga community and I practice myself and most of our team are yoga teachers. So um, just a legal disclaimer that you listening to this does not create a lawyer-client relationship. And as well, um, I highly recommend that you consult with a professional before making any changes. Okay. So we've done that sorted. Um, 
your and your sorry, your question was: Is the recommendation that people have people re-sign the waivers? Yeah, or create yes. a new waiver that specifically states that they are teaching that they're taking online classes and that they're taking responsibility for making sure that they're healthy enough to take the class. Yes, so that's 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 the that's what I've been working on for the past seventy-two hours mostly um, has been re, re, reworking, retooling. Um, anyone who. For, Everyone who's a conscious council and has purchased a waiver from us in the past, we're offering free tune-ups to all of our community because we love them, we want to see them protected. But yes, the recommendation is to up the waiver um, as soon as possible. Great. And so you said that there were some other issues other than the waiver of liability that are emerging and that you wanted to cover. Yeah, so I think an another issue that um, is becoming really, really really big, um, and this mostly pertains to studio owners, it has to do with, there's, it has to do with a media release and intellectual property ownership of what is being create, created. So what's happening is a lot of studios are saying, oh, normally you teach this class, why don't you go off and teach this class online? Or other studios are doing it in a different way where the physical, they're going to the physical studio, they're hiring a professional team, they're having editors, they're investing a lot of money. And I'm just, and so the issue is that people may not be aware or be thinking of the intellectual property rules or laws that apply in this relationship. So I'm just gonna explain them um, as basically as possible. The first distinction is, let's say you're a studio owner and there's two, it's like part of it's from the perspective of the person uh, who's being recorded and then part of it is for the person who's paying for the recording. So the first question is if someone is an employee or if someone is a contractor. Now, if someone is an employee, so long as the work that they are doing is in the normal uh, in, the, in the normal course of services of something that they are offering, the the employer will keep the intellectual property ownership in what is being created. If someone is a contractor at law, a contractor, if you are using their audio, video, image, likeness, and someone is a contractor at law, they retain rights into whatever is being created. So the law, that's like the law's rule. If they're an employee and you're paying for it and this is in the normal scope of what they normally do for you, you keep it. If they're a contractor, they automatically have part of it. And what, I, what, what I'm, so that's how law works with intellectual property ownership. What I'm concerned about or what I'm seeing is a lot of studios well firstly you know we've you and i have spoken before i'm all about relationships and law so it's all about i'm not telling you it's right to it's right for one party to keep the intellectual property and it's wrong for another one like i'm not saying that anything's right or wrong everyone can agree what they want to but my concern is that a lot of people are investing a lot of money to get streaming going and to start recording classes and they're on they're not having their staff sign media releases and as such they're exposed to liability in the future where someone can say, as long as I have intellectual property rights in what has been created, at any point in time, I can say, you're not allowed to use my image. You know, pay me X or you're not allowed to use my image. Or, you know, let's say at first, the way that this model starts is instead of people coming into the classroom, we're just filming them and we're live streaming the classes. But then, you're, and this is what's gonna happen, everyone's gonna come up with online courses and they're gonna find ways to repurpose and retool all of this content that they have. A contractor could easily be like, actually, you're profiting you know, three times off of what we created. I'm entitled to three, three times of that. And, and again, it's in the, in the yoga law book, 
in the chapter of intellectual property ownership, I saw this come up with teacher trainings. And instead it was copyright of a teacher who contributed to part of a teacher training course. They never signed a release. There was nothing was clear about who owned the property. And they were able to go back to that, that studio a year later and be like, you've run this teacher training four times. You only paid me once for it. You know, pay me this, pay me this amount more. So I, my job is to bring these legal issues to the forefront and just get them in people's minds so that they're thinking about them. Yeah, that's um, super helpful because I think it's definitely an issue that neither the yoga teachers nor the studios for the most part are thinking of. I have seen that question a little bit about intellectual property, so I'm glad that you addressed it. That's really helpful to understand the difference between employee and the contractor. And so does that mean that if they're record, so they normally teach classes, right? Say they're the yoga teacher's an employee, they already teach classes, and now they're being filmed teaching a class, so that falls into the scope of their normal, or, or do they have to be creating online classes on a regular basis already? Well, that, thankfully, we haven't gotten to the point where this issue, so normally how it works in law, and, and I'm knocking on wood, this is real wood, the Portuguese word for word is Madeira, by the way, so I'm knocking on Madeira, but the way that it works in law is sometimes you'll have something that's a test case. So that, that question that you just asked me is a great question, and I'm going to give my opinion on it for whatever my opinion is worth. But at law, and I can tell you it won't, this won't come to the surface with yoga, but it'll come with some other industry and all of these changes that are taking place. And then a, a, there are going to be two lawyers who present arguments. One would say why the, you know, why filming that is part of the services and the studio owns it. Again, it's not going to be with yoga when this happens, but another lawyer is going to say, no, it's outside of the scope. Clearly their employment agreement refers to only in-person services. Therefore they retain it. And again, it, it won't happen to yoga, but I, I think firstly, this is, let's be practical. I, I'm all about practical law. I'm all about helping yoga professionals manage your relationship. Before, you, before you're going to sign anything, before you do anything, talk to the people that you work with, be a real person, communicate openly and honestly and lovingly, and understand what they're com- where they're coming from, what they're comfortable with, and how they feel about, the whole, about what's happening in that situation. If you, if you do that, you, you're 90% of the way there. You're really going to avoid a lot of the problems. That being said, there's nothing that, there's nothing that could prevent that person Let's say you have a conversation, but you don't sign something. There's nothing that in six months or four months, that person desperately needs money. You know, their spouse lost their job. They're like, okay, blah, blah, blah. We're scrambling. Oh, look what they're doing with these yoga classes that you made. We're entitled to that. I think law, if you have an employment agreement or you have a contractor agreement, it's like work, you work with a lawyer. You can work with me. You can work with someone else, but like just have the appropriate provision inserted to the agreement and have people re-sign it. It's like, that can be done in 12 hours. Like, it's, it's, it's not so, so complex. So we could sort of, you know, wax hypothetical for a long time about how it's going to go through the courts and, and what's right and what's wrong. But in a practical sense, it's like, speak to people, understand what they're comfortable with. And, even, and here's an example of if someone doesn't want to hire a lawyer, and I totally get if you don't want to do that. Let's say you have employees. Um, hey, guys, I would write an email to the team. Hey, everyone, you know, we're starting to shoot content. We want you to understand that uh, as an employee of our studio, for us, we believe that this is this falls under the normal work that you're doing. Uh, we can t- we're paying for these services. It's the same service that you were pro- providing before. 
as such, we, we will keep all intellectual property ownership. If you have any problem with this, please communicate with us and let us know. If not, just send us a response that says, I agree and I understand that X studio keeps all of this intellectual property. It's a band-aid, it's not perfect, but it's, that's at least something that if, if there is some sort of dispute and, and the way that it works as a lawyer is you're always looking at the other perspective. So I, if I was a lawyer and, some, and a teacher hired me and said, hey, I responded to this email, I agree, blah, 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 um, but can you still fight for me? I'd be like, yeah, I can definitely come up with an argument for the other side because that's what lawyers do. They come up with arguments to try to convince someone of something. Um, but, but that means it's better than nothing and you've communicated through it, you have something in writing and it at least puts you in a better position than you would be otherwise. Okay, great. And, and really what I'm hearing, and this is something that I totally agree with. We talked about in the podcast interview that hasn't been released yet. And I talk about it a lot oh, okay. with my coaching clients is let's have agreements in writing, right? Whether you're an employee, whether you're a contractor, whether you're a studio owner, it protects everybody to have really clear agreements. Then we have something to go back to and a starting place to renegotiate an agreement if we need to in the future. Yes, you're like, you're just teeing me up there being like, let's have written agreement. Obviously when the podcast comes out, everyone will hear my passion about written agreements, but it's also what it does is it's respect, it's open and honest communication, and it's also accountability. And like, that's to me the real power where it's like, hey, we said this and you signed this, this isn't happening. Where are we now? How can, you know, how can we move forward? So written agreements always. Great. So we have a question from Barbara Phoenix and she asks, what language does Corey recommend for an online waiver? Depends what language the reader speaks or is fluent in. So it could be Portuguese. It could be Brazilian Portuguese. It could be French. It could be French Canadian. So would you say that for, for the teacher, that whatever? Was a joke. Sorry. Oh, that was a joke. I think she meant what language, like what verbiage I was using language to talk about. Oh, uh, 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 you know, you understood her. I misunderstood her. I thought she's... I got, I, <laughs> she means what wording, but okay. I was using language. I thought, and I was waiting for you to laugh, but you didn't laugh. I didn't laugh because I didn't get it. <laughs> no, okay, I'm good. I'm always testing out new material. This is my, I have a question for Barbara Phoenix, which hopefully she's here in real time. Is Barbara Phoenix in Phoenix? I don't think she so is. No. Okay. But I'm anyways, pretty sure she's in Northern California. Language. The language to use in a waiver. I mean, uh, it's like that, that, that question is like, what are the right words to use in describing how to put someone through sun salutations, right? There's, there's no particular language. Um, I, I can't really explain to you what you want to say, but I'm happy to share what the elements of a waiver are. The first is being um, really specific about what activities people will be doing with you. The next thing you want to do is talk about the risks of those activities and what the outcomes of those risks are. Um, once people understand the, the risks, they can then voluntarily choose to participate. Um, they then agree that they're healthy enough to participate, understanding the risks and voluntarily choosing to do so. And then they release you of liability. Um, so that's like my little formula that I've come up with for waivers, but like the language, it, it needs to be sufficient. And like, and the big thing about waivers is a lot of the times people will say that it doesn't apply. Um, and the reason why waivers have been proven not to apply is when they're not 
clearly written or there's some ambiguity. So as an example, I had a potential client reach out to me yesterday and was like, hey, do you mind like, can you can you make my my waiver like online streamable ish? And I normally we never, ever, ever, ever edit waivers that we didn't draft just because they're normally poorly written and most of the time copied from the Internet. And I read this person's waiver and I was like, hey, and I know this person's also a friend of mine. And I was like, I really, I really do want to help you Uh, like this waiver. It's not it won't serve its purpose because whatever, whatever that waiver was supposed to do, there was not one specific mention of a specific activity that someone would be doing with them. So it's like, hey, you agreed to exercise with us and then exercising, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's way too general. And that's where the window is open for someone to say, actually, you, okay, exercise you said, but you never told me anything about us doing handstands or inversions or this. Like, would the average person think that uh, an inversion is exercise? Then that's a whole argument. And the whole thing is like, Everything there's in law, there's practical and there's theoretical. In the practical level, what's going to happen is someone's going to get hurt. They're going to hire a lawyer. That lawyer is going to send a demand letter to somebody. And the demand letter is going to say, hey, you had a responsibility to make sure that my client was going to be safe. They got hurt. They signed a waiver. These are all the things that are wrong with the waiver. Pay up now or like, you know, pay X, you know, $35,000, whatever amount now, or we're going to sue you. And then like, Everyone has a meltdown, we cry, we hug, I tell them it's gonna be okay, you know? But for, for me as a lawyer, you, I know the things that, that you need to have to be able to protect yourself. And it's like, in a, in, a, in a strong waiver, it just shuts the door automatically. It's like, hey, we told you exactly what was going to happen. We were so specific about the activity that we were doing. You got injured doing those activities. You agreed to release us, even if we were negligent in providing it, Therefore, like you, ha- you legally signed away your right to bring an action against us. I'm like, that's how you slam the door. So, um, Barbara Phoenix, I hope that's helpful to you. What I mean to say is that, like, there's not the words to use for a waiver. There's a lot of different combination of words you can use, and I, yeah, and I would just be, I would be mindful to make sure that you're using the right words. That's the best help I can do. I, I'm. That's what I got. Barbara says it's very helpful and that she lives in Santa Rosa, California. Santa Rosa, dreamy. I'm sending love to Santa Rosa. It is dreamy. It is. Okay, so it sounds like it's really about specificity and clarity. Yes, waivers of liability are. That's, that's, you've got it. That's, those are the two things that it's about. And the elements that I had mentioned as well. Right. Yeah, and that's really helpful to have that that list of elements in your book, the Yoga Law Book. Do you have sample liability waivers in that book, or is that no? Okay, I do not. So we 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 sell waivers of liability. We work really hard. We have hundreds of clients. We're continually perfecting it, like adding in a, um, a COVID nineteen provision. Last, you know, a couple of days ago was an example of how. It's always getting better and we're always getting feedback. So it's not something that, that we give away. Um, and, uh, and that's it. But I think what, what I would say is like really, if you want to understand, if someone is listening and interested and like wants to learn about this stuff, I think the book is 16 or $17, which is way cheaper than working with a lawyer directly. And it'll just like, what it will do is just bring questions to your mind and help you understand 
there's nothing I've said in this talk that is not shared um, in the book. So that's that, that's the reason why it was written, that everyone could have access to this information in like in a practical and fun way. And there's one last, the, the last thing that I just wanted to share also, because I know the topic for this discussion is like operating online. This has to do with service agreements. And this is what I've seen. So on, on the Facebook, on the Facebook, I saw that like one of, one of my friends uh, in Vancouver, BC posted, and this was like last week, um, and I'm trying to surround myself with positive news, but it was pretty bad. And she's like, hey, like, you, um, I forget what she was asking for, but she was like, I have all of these clients um, with re like for recurring revenue subscriptions, and all of them have canceled as a result of this happening. And the only thing that came to my mind is like, what does your client service agreement say? Right? Because the way that it works with, with client service agreements is that there's two things that are happening. One, two parties can agree to anything so long as it is not illegal. In different states and provinces, there are different consumer protection laws, which basically mean like, okay, two parties can agree to something, but if one party does something really egregious or really bad, the law, like the law has like a basic threshold of things that have to happen in a commercial relationship. And one of one of like the biggest issues that surround consumer relations, uh, excuse me, consumer protection laws, has to do with like ability to provide services. So let's and I just I saw her write that and I was like, what does your service agreement say? Because if you have a service agreement that says, hey, you know what, I take my work with my clients seriously, I invest a lot of time. As such, any cancellations um, will need to be provided with 180 days notice so long as I'm able to carry out the services as requested. And she probably just had, didn't have a written agreement. I love her. I'm sending her all my love and energy right now. I want everyone to be okay. But that's an example where like if you have the right agreement, you can, you can structure it in a way and both parties can choose to sign it, right? We're not forcing anyone to do anything. You're saying... These are the terms of a relationship that work for me. And in doing so, I will only work with you if you agree to these terms and maybe you'll negotiate or maybe you won't, but they sign. But that was just like, it sort of broke my heart because I'm like, that situation can be avoided, but it's something that I'm hearing more and more, you know, that's coming up. And even for, yeah, so I'll just stop there. I, I just wanted to say that because it's something that I've seen a lot of people talk about and I'm just like, well, what does your service agreement say? And so long as you're able to carry out those services and you have authorization to take payment, then you're allowed to. Whether or not you want to is a whole other question, right? Mm, you can keep mm. the discretion of maybe you think, oh, you know, considering the times, please pause now, come back when you're ready. But a lot of the times, like especially in coaching or in these services, like a lot of the times it's front loaded where, you know, in the first three class, you know, lessons or sessions, you're sharing a lot, a lot of information on you know on the assumption that you'll continue working with them so i just want everyone to be covered and okay right okay great so there's a few more questions coming up and um there was just to wrap up that previous piece about your book it sounds like your book is going to take everything that you're sharing here and explain it in even more detail like for example the elements of a, of a waiver just for clarity yes all, all of that's listed there so the way the book works is i, I took the major chapters that the major issues that yoga professionals have. And I tell, and I explain it in the law in super, super plain English. In the waiver chapter, we definitely have um, the breakdown of the elements required. I think even 
if you go to the website yogalawbook.com, there's a free chapter. And I think the free chapter that we have is on waivers of liability. But the format for each chapter is like, here's what you need to know about the law. And then I tell a story that I went through with one of my clients. And the story illustrates all of the points in a playful and relatable way. Great. And, you know, I mean, I get that law, business, insurance, accounting, all of these things are not necessarily in the wheelhouse of the yoga teacher, but I think, I think it's so important to educate yourself on the topics that are relevant to your livelihood. So I hope that yoga teachers listening, you know, basically if you if you buy a book like Corey's and you educate yourself, then when you hire a lawyer, you're going to be able to spend less money with that lawyer because you're going to, they're not going to have to educate you as they're working with you. You're going to have kind of, you're going to be able to be more efficient with your time. And obviously their time costs a lot. So um, definitely check that out. And then we have a few more questions that have come in um, on the chat. If you have time, Corey. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Vina says, I'm currently offering free online classes. How do I handle waivers for students who are not regulars? So it sounds like she's not um, collecting um, contact information, but just offering for free, like through social media. Okay. So if you're doing that, firstly, just, and I did a, I did a webinar yesterday and the question came up if, if you're still liable, if you're offering it for free or not. And the answer is yes, mm -hmm. you still are liable, but what it means um, so we, you know, duty of care means that you have to take care of someone. There's a standard of care, which means like based on the relationship you have, there's a certain requirement of to what degree you have to take care of someone. So if someone's doing something for free, it's a little bit less, but it's still, all of it still applies. I would, and this is like the band-aid practical solution, again, consult with a lawyer for everything that I've shared, but especially on this, I would just put a disclaimer at the bottom of the video and be like, hey, this content is for free, um, you understand more or less. But I would put a disclaimer which says like, you know, you are doing these activities at your own risk. Make sure make sure that you are healthy enough to do it. You do not hold me responsible for anything that's that you're doing. And even like before you start the video, if you can find a way to put the text or just like make a point, you're like, hey, before I'm starting this, here is a disclaimer. I'm not responsible for anything that you do from watching this video. Um, and that's something. If, if you don't have the infrastructure in place where you can have, where anyone who access your content has to go to a site or sign up for something or already has a member portal, that's something which is better than nothing. Okay, great. Vina, good question. Okay, another one from Vina. This is more logistical. Email the waiver or post it online. You, this is what you need to make sure for the waiver. You need to make sure that one, everyone has a chance to read the waiver before they agree. So someone paying, this is the same for memberships or for anything. People always need to clearly show they had an opportunity to read the agreement. So that can be, what you can do is you can make a Google doc, um, an uneditable version of a Google doc. So just view um, and you can link you, can hyperlink that to a checkout page or whatever it is, or in an email. And then, and then you'd have to say, you know, by, so step one is you have an opportunity to review the agreement. Step two is having read the agreement, you agree to be bound by terms and conditions by clicking, I agree by responding. I agree by clicking this box, whatever it is, but 
And again, just the, the whole the whole perspective of a lawyer is that let's say I, I'm trying to get my client out of a contract, which I get e I'm hired equally as much to get out of contracts as I am to enforce contracts. I'm looking for any any hole. And now here's a story. I love I love sharing stories. Um, here's a story um, about a client of mine. So firstly, I hope that answers it, and then I'm going to tell you the story. And the stories are great just because these are the things that actually happen that I want to avoid happening to you. Um, so people have to have an opportunity to read it in full, and after they read it, they have to show some indication of clicking I agree or responding I agree or whatever. So the story is as follows. Client signs up for some group coaching program, very, very expensive, like the total price was $50,000 US, whatever they're doing together, I'm not gonna get any into any of the specifics. Three months down the line, client has paid 15,000 of 50,000, $35,000 remaining on the balance, having a terrible experience, not liking it, doesn't think it's fair or whatever, sends me an email like, Corey, can you get me this contract? I was like, okay, I had, you know, I had 17,000 questions like, send me this, what about this, blah, 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 we're on, the, we're on the call, we're doing it, we're having fun, we're smiling, we're dancing. In the end, what we realized is before she agreed to it, she never had a chance to review the agreements. And it, it ended up, it was two paragraphs that I wrote. I was like, please take this as notice of cancellation of my client's contract. No further payments will be made. The reason why is my, client's ne my client never had a chance. And then there was like some other smaller agreements, uh, other arguments that we put in. But I was like, my client never had an opportunity to review the agreement in full before, uh, before signing and making payment you know this is illegal under this particular law or this provision and like if you want to know how law works that's how law works and it wasn't like it, it, it in the end it's, it's worked so far knocking on madera knocking on wood um but that's an example of what people are going to do to try to get out of things or try to get things and that's why having the legal in place is so important awesome thank you okay so from cheryl cheryl says can I hold up a sign at the beginning of a video with a written waiver big enough to read? No, no. Yeah, well, you firstly, Cheryl, hi. You can do whatever you want, but show, but sending, again, people have to have an opportunity to review it, and then you need some proof that someone agreed to be bound by it. Okay. So, right, is, it, it's, is that the best way to do it? No, it's not perfect. It's a way to do it. Sure, it's, it's better than nothing, but it could easily be, right? Like if I have a piece of paper and I'm showing it and then it's, look, it's, it's a great idea and it's a practical way, but I think the problem is that everyone, like almost everyone is able to just access everything all the time from you. So how do you, how do you figure out, how does that, how does that work practically? So it sounds like it's, a little similar to what you were recommending for free content, except that if you were to put it across the bottom the whole time, then that's obviously, there's fewer arguments. So I didn't see that, I joined late. For sure, and also like, that's like what YouTube disclaimers are. Often we do, we do yoga YouTube disclaimers that are drafted, which is like, and that stays in the bottom when you start the video, you're like, check out the disclaimer before you practice with me, blah, blah, blah. And all that that's showing is that you're being prudent and that you care like, is it the best thing ever? It's not the best thing ever, but it's something that's better than nothing for sure. Okay. So great question, Cheryl. All right. So this next question is from two people. Both two people have asked the same question. We have Jane and Dean are also interested in the topic of music copyright. 
Music licensing. Yeah. Um, okay, this is, I'll, I'll give you the whole spiel on music licensing. I've had a couple of issues with studio owners where I've helped them out with it. And I'll just explain the law because like there isn't, I haven't found there to be that much depth in the music licensing question, but it's more about compliance than anything else. So the issue at hand is that people are using, people have a personal Spotify account and under that they have a license to use the music for non-commercial purposes, something to that degree. Um, what happens is they'll then use their Spotify, they're recording a video, and then now they're using it for commercial purposes or for whatever purposes. And then it even if you're doing free classes on Instagram, does that count as commercial purposes? Which is a whole other question. But, but basically, if you're using certain music in a certain way, you need to have an appropriate license. So that's the issue. And, and I've been with studios who have gotten demand letters saying, hey, you, you know, someone in your studio and you were playing this music in the lobby and that's the incorrect designation. So I think the first question is like, A, how proactive do you want to be about this? And how compliant do you want to be about it? And if you want to, you can reach out um, to, uh, to any, you know, any of the major licensors of music in the United States or Canada, and you can you know, inquire about a license and what the cost is and let them know how you're using it. Or if you have Spotify, you can Spotify support and say, hey, I have a personal Spotify, I'm doing free yoga classes, am I allowed to play these music? So that's like, right, that's sort of like full stop. That's my recommendation. If, if you want to be heads-on and proactive about the issue, that's what, how it should be dealt with. Um, in a practical sense, this is, again, off the record, I'm not your lawyer, but I'm just saying as a lawyer, I think there's a, there are a lot of things going on in society right now where probably I don't, I don't think anyone's necessarily super focused on this issue right now. I think if you were to continue doing it for a really, really long time and you're a massive influencer and you're attracting attention, I think it's more of an issue. But I think it's just like things are so confusing and disoriented at the moment that on a practical level, I, ca I can't really see all of these companies coming after everyone who's doing the exact same thing. That being said, I've been wrong many, 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 many times before in my life. But that's just like, if, if a client were to ask me, I'd be like, who's monitoring that? Like right now with all the things going on. So that's it. Awesome. And to tag onto that, just because I know that there are people listening who are really interested in this topic, the technology of streaming with music is another complication to this. So if you are able to teach without music, then you bypass the legal issue and you bypass the tech issue. So that's something to consider, something to think about, because if you're very attached to using music, for example, you can't use Zoom because Zoom tries to cut out background noise, number one. And number two, you can see when you're live streaming that the quality, you know, occasionally we cut out. Now, when it's just speech, it's not a big deal when we cut out. You can fill in the gaps. But with music, it's very distracting. So it also um, the, the speakers that you're using to record your voice are probably not super high quality. You are playing your music through low to mid quality speakers and then recording it again into low to mid quality microphone, then the quality is gonna sound really bad when you share that. So that's just, I know it's, it's not the topic that we were talking about, but there have been so many questions in this group about like the tech of it. So I just wanna put that out there if you can, 
teach without music, when you're teaching online, you get a lot of benefits of simplification on there. Okay, so let me see if we've got any more. Oh yeah, here's another question. We created a private Facebook group with rules that incorporate our disclaimer and waiver of liability. To be accepted to the group, they must agree to the rules. Is that adequate? Connie, that's a great thing to do. Again, just remember what I came back to and I said before, did they have an opportunity to read read it, read through that waiver beforehand? Does, it, does the waiver actually cover the activities and risks associated with what's being done? And then thirdly, can you, is there some proof that you can show that they agreed to that particular waiver? And if that, maybe if the proof is them joining the group, then you just want to make sure the waiver is written in a way where it says by joining the Facebook group, because again, in a practical way, if you ever have to work with a lawyer, they're going to say, they're just going to ask you those questions. They're going to be like, okay, did the person have a chance to review it? Can we prove that they agreed and like send me a screenshot of this? Okay. So that's, it's all, yeah, that's, so that's great, Connie. Perfect. Well, that's all the questions that we've had. So um, if yoga teachers or studio owners watching this want to reach out to you and hire you, what's the best way to find you and get in touch? We, the, our website is yogalegal.com. So you can, you can just go there and then throw, uh, throw an inquiry or my email is Corey at consciouscouncil.ca. Oh, Barbara, Barbara Phoenix popped down with one more. She says, is there a difference between pre-recorded content versus live content liability wise? I don't think so. I can't see how that would happen. So long as the, uh, so long as what you're doing is in the scope of what people have agreed to and the risks and activities are the same, there's no different. But Barbara Phoenix, like that's a nice little encore from Barbara Phoenix, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. She just, just came back right at the end. <laughs> Santa Rosa, big love to Santa Rosa. Okay, Corey, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You know, Corey, just like I reached out to him yesterday about this. And so thank you for... Uh, making the time to hop on and share this insight and clarification with my my group. It's a pleasure. It's also Sh uh, Charlotte, who's uh, an amazing team member of ours, has also been instrumental in, in helping us, you know, communicate this information to as many people. So thanks to her. And like, and the last thing of what I've been saying to everyone all week is like, people need yoga now more than ever. Like this is, this is the time for it. So keep practicing, stay safe, protect yourselves love each other and focus on positive things. And that's it. Thanks, Corey. Okay, ciao. Bye, bye. Guys. bye. I thought that training was so helpful and so clear. So thank you so much to Corey for making that happen on such short notice. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I'm recording this a few weeks at least before this episode is released. And the way things are changing day by day, I really have no idea what's going to be going on in the world by the time this episode is out, but I hope that you are doing well. I hope that you're taking things in stride and that you're able to adapt and adjust to whatever happens in your world. A couple days ago, I did a poll on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group, asking people, checking in with how they're doing. And I was really happy to see that the majority of people said that they were really feeling pretty good, pretty okay, that they were in a good place. So that made me relax a little bit. Even though I have talked about that I personally struggle with anxiety, I've talked about that on this podcast before. The funny thing is that my anxiety does not tend to pop up in relationship with real events. 
it's not necessarily related to how at risk I actually am, which is part of what's helped me learn to manage it, to recognize that when I'm anxious, it's not directly connected to how in danger I really am. And for me, that is the gift of my practice, the ability to tap into the part of me that is whole and complete and doesn't rely on external security to feel okay. I know that many of us have the tendency to want to be able to know everything and control everything ahead of time. And that if we don't know what's going to happen, then we actually waste a ton of energy that could be put into something productive, into being of service, even into just something joyful. We waste so much energy worrying right now, yoga teacher, we need our practice more than ever. And I know it's so easy to tell yourself, oh, I can't do it right now. Usually my kids aren't home. Now my kids are home, but that is not a reason to let go of your practice. It is a reason to make it a priority more than ever, because you want to be patient with your children. You want to be present with your children. Or if you don't have children and you're feeling lonely, whatever's going on for you, this is a tool that can help you not only survive, but actually thrive no matter what is going on in the world. So I'm curious, what does your practice look like right now? Let me know. You can shoot me an email. Hello, yoga teacher at gmail.com or come on the yoga teacher resource Facebook group and start a post and let's share what that looks like in this new world. Mm -hmm.